0: Welcome to Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues, here with Nastasha the Hammer Lopez, the person who keeps the wheels on the truck. Uh, <laughs> call in all of your questions, cooking related or not. Well... Probably cooking related, technology related or not. Yes. Although we will we will take all we'll take questions. All issues. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. yeah, right. Today's today's show isn't just cooking issues, it's issues in general. Uh, you know, especially coming off the holiday weekend. Call in all your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. We're gonna be here live for another forty-five minutes or so. Today's show is brought to you by three hundred and sixty cookware. Three sixty cookware is a top-of-the-line stainless steel cookware that is made in America in the greenest cookware manufacturing facility in the country. It can be used to make all of your favorite recipes, but it also gives the option to cook using vapor technology, which creates a seal that surrounds food with intense heat, locking in vitamins, moisture, and flavor without added oil, fat, or excess water. Visit our website at 360cookware.com for more information. That's 360cookware.com. Okay, now... All right, so uh, while we're waiting for that phone call, uh, let's start in on the Thanksgiving and the uh, the Heritage Turkey, the uh, the Narragansett. If you listened last week, uh, we uh, received a Heritage breed Narragansett turkey from uh, Heritage, uh, Heritage Foods, and uh, I cooked it using a technique. We have a caller, so I'll go back into it in a minute, but suffice it to say, best damn turkey I've ever made in my whole life. So good, in fact, so good that... Uh, uh, no one was able to take a picture of it before it was completely gone. I swear to God. Like, I've never not had turkey leftovers the next day. We didn't even have that many people. Turkey was obliterated. Obliterated. Gone. Anyway, okay, so we have a caller? Mm-hmm. Caller, you were on the air. Hello? Oh, we lost our caller. Hello? Hello, hey, how you doing? I'm doing
1: fine. Uh, I'm calling from California, and I actually have a question about your hydrocolloid course coming up in January. All uh, I'm trying to decide whether it's worth $1,500 for the course, plus the flight across country and three nights in a hotel room.
0: Right. Well, so hopefully, you'll also eat at some good restaurants while you're here. One of the benefits of being in New York. Just I now. do
1: that every year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So you're asking me to sell the class. Okay. Exactly. All right. Well, here's here's what I hydrocolloids. First of all, you know, I'm a little bit biased because I, I teach the class. Uh, you know, along with uh, Nils Norin the VP of Culinary. Uh, Culinary arts, I guess, is this title over there? Um, it's you know, I realize that the classes can be somewhat pricey, and but there's a whole lot of work that goes into it, and whether or not it's worthwhile. For you depends a lot on you. Hydrocolloids is a it's a difficult subject to teach because invariably in the class we get people with a wide range of previous uh, previous knowledge, previous experience, and also goals. Right. So when you're teaching something like low temperature sous vide cooking, uh, you know pretty much everyone's goals are fairly similar, and it's it's a matter of just showing people what's possible within the realm within the context of cooking low temperature. You know this is what we can do with different kinds of proteins at different times with different treatments. This is what we can do with, uh, you know, uh, vegetables and various technologies, ways to do things, and so like it's very focused, and everyone is there pretty much with the same goal in mind. Hydrocolloids is such a wide open field that um, we basically, we have to hit, there's certain things we have to hit, right? Because some people in the class may have never used hydrocolloids at all. And some people m- might be very, very experienced. So the, the class has to be a balance between um, things that, uh, you know, maybe you, you might already know how to do, like spherification. We tend to deal with it with a more you know in in a more kind of rigorous way than you would get anywhere else i think that's you know the the goal, that's what you know we try to do in general at the fci and the tech department and cooking issues in particular we try to do things in a very rigorous way whenever possible and i think that's a standpoint you can you know you always get but aside from those kind of basic techniques we also try to teach some techniques there's always something that no one's seen before because we always try to develop at least one or two new things for each class i mean when i say new i mean like brand new and then um but the 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 you know the other thing besides the specific applications is we try to teach a particular way of thinking about using these ingredients so you know how to develop a recipe properly so i mean i think that i've had people take the class and come back to me and said that you know they were able to apply their stuff right away in in their menus you know what i mean uh, i've never had anyone come back and say i you know it was Useless, you know what I mean, or like what wasn't necessarily worth it. Uh, But you know, uh, I think it all depends on what you want to get out of it and kind of how you want to apply it. I mean, a a lot of the people that we deal with are chefs, and so for them, it's it's straight up. I mean, I don't know whether you're a chef or not, but a lot of them is straight up. Well, am I going to get enough new menu items out of it? And usually, the answer is yes. Um, You know. Also, I'm terrible at selling myself. Am I right, Nastasha? That's true. I'm yeah. like the worst person at selling mm-hmm. myself because I, you know, I, I hate to, to sell someone on something and then have them not get what they want. Is this helpful at all or No
1: it's a little bit helpful uh let me tell you where i'm at uh you know i've read things like the uh, you know the hydrocolloid recipe collection from uh, martin lursch and i've right. read your primer and stuff and done some of the recipes uh i'm not as interested actually in recipes as i am in understanding if i'm going to be using you know sodium alginate and calcium carbonate that what are the you know how does the acidity affect it how does uh uh you know Temperature affected things like that, so that I can then use those chemicals uh, on my own without a recipe uh, to develop new things.
0: I mean that that's our that's our goal. Our you know my my goal in general, and if you talk to you know like my brother in law Wiley Dufresne at WD fifty, he hates give he didn't hate, but he he prefers not to just give out straight recipes because he wants to foster understanding of how to use these ingredients. Right. right. I mean with. I mean, the, the the one problem is is that it's a, over the course of two days we're going to be dealing with a w- wide range of uh, of products. So I mean, like for instance, with alginate, one of the things we deal with in general, alginate, you know, as you've you know alluded to, al- for all those of you who don't know what the heck we're talking about, sodium alginate is a seaweed derived. Uh, hydrocolloid, like a like a gelling agent that stays liquid until it hits uh, calcium, free calcium. At which point, it forms a gel that you know uh, that is not broken neither by heat nor by anything else. Basically, I mean, it's just the gel's there forever. The unfortunate part about sodium alginate is it tends to uh, suck up flavor, have very kind of poor flavor. The gel itself, you would never eat a block of alginate because it just tastes wretched. Anyway, but so uh, as you know, it's affected by acid. So yes, we get into that right. Um, but, you know, like, you know, it's more saying the level we're going to take it to is, look, if, you know, you can't have acid, too much acid because it's not – it's going to cause the alginate not to set. And then, uh, you know, furthermore, you need to use uh, something called a sequestrant to sequester the calcium that's freed up in the water as the acidity increases or use a buffering agent such as sodium citrate. I mean, we'll get into that kind of stuff like sodium hexametaphosphate. but it's – you know, it's not – I mean, it's, it means there's only a certain level of actual technical information we can get into in the class because we're, like I say, we're dealing with people with a wide range of backgrounds and goals. You know what I mean? So we're going to deal with it, but uh, you know, I'm not going to say that it's the same as reading scientific literature on the subject. You know, which which we can point you to. You know, you know what I mean?
1: Is this, uh, well, the scientific literature doesn't necessarily apply. I find a lot of it is just uh, to get to the where I can use it in my cooking uh, is a bit obtuse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just uh, pro- I'm a culinary instructor, and I uh, really don't like giving out recipes. I'm in that that frame of mind. I'm, I want to teach people principles. I want to teach them you know, how to think about the food, and then go ahead and do it uh, without having to follow a recipe uh, line by line, some sort of prescription. So that's the sort of, and it sounds like you're doing that in the class. So you're not doing recipes. That you are. Going more into the the principles,
0: right? And we've had really good luck with culinary uh, instructors, by the way, taking our class. So to get to school to pay for it,
1: <laughs> anyway. it's a non-profit, Sorry. Oh uh, yeah. All right.
0: Well, anyway, I, I hope to see you in January. And thanks for calling.
1: Okay. Bye.
0: All right. So, okay. So now uh, back to our, our Thanksgiving, real quick. Wait. Well, we have another caller. Caller, you are on the air. Hi there, Dave.
2: Hi. It's Colin Gore again from down here in DC. Howdy. Uh I have two things I want to ask. Uh, I know there's probably a break coming up, so maybe pick whichever is easier. We'll
0: we'll power through it. Let's do it. All
2: right, okay. So first thing I want to do, I'm making oyster mushroom soup oysters, right, out of kind of dropping them in an alginate bath and making these kind of like snotty little oyster-looking things (laughs) that are full of delicious briny oyster soup. And uh, I want to make the... Kind of that alginate skin on them, a little more pearlescent, a little more like you know oystery, not like th- thin uh, translucent kind of snotty thing you get from the alginate.
0: Right. Okay. So, but uh, like like hard snot. It's not like it's not like a xanthan snot. You're not adding a lot of xanthan. Oh yeah, to no, it.
2: no. They like they come out great. It's just they're they're clear, right? Right. And I want this. I want that very surface kind of skin to have a little bit of tra- like be more translucent than transparent. Okay. Give it some. Here's a here's a kind of.
0: Okay. Here's here's a couple of ways we can go. First of all, are you doing a forward alginate or reverse alginate? Uh, reverse. Okay. You're doing so. You're doing and they're frozen beforehand or or not frozen? Not frozen. Okay. Just out of curiosity, I I do a a lot of mine. I'll freeze just because it makes it easier. Like you freeze the mixture and then you drop it in. You don't have to worry about. Yeah, good idea. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. I definitely had problems like you know forming them. Hit yeah, basically
0: yeah, 98% of the time I'll pre-freeze them because it's not that long of an extra step and it just makes your processing much easier. Okay, now to your pearlescent problem. There are a couple of solutions. So you're looking to add something to the alginate bath both to modify the texture and the look. Okay, now if you want to just modify the look, I don't recommend this, by the way. What I'm saying to you, I don't recommend, but you can go the Kike Costa method. Kike Costa, as you might know, famous Spanish chef, uh, adds a lot of metal dust to a lot of his stuff right so you can get Uh food grade basically pearlescent powder It's relatively flavor. I'm not recommending this, but I'm saying like as the fastest way. So he did a famous dish where he did an oyster that he literally put silver dust on, like an oyster oyster, not like what you're saying, I believe. It's been a long time, been many years. But that looked, you know, that was some shiny stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, And it gave an interesting look. I'm not so much about adding stuff that doesn't have a sort of a flavor impact. Now, if you want to go flavor impact, you can do that. It's going to look good. It's not going to affect the taste. So you can get food grade silver either from like, uh, well, usually leaf if you get it from an Indian source, like an Ayurvedic source, but or you can get food grade powders. I don't know where Kike got them, probably somewhere in Spain. Now, if you want to add more of a shimmer to it, and you want to modify the texture of the alginate, right? So that it doesn't uh-huh. taste like Solidified snot, right? Technical term, right? Nastasha, yes. solidified snot. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, what I would do is emulsify some oil into the alginate base before you drop. So what you're doing is, okay. is you, yeah. So that's gonna. This is an old, uh, semi-established technique, but one that's not really talked about a lot because everyone knows that the texture of an alginate uh, gel is not so great. If you add a little oil, emulsify a little oil in to it, right? All of a sudden, now your teeth are going to break it better. It's going to look better. It's going to feel softer, and, and it, as long as you're careful with it, you're not going to destroy the integrity of it too much, right? Okay. And so, and so that I mean, to me, much more than the than adding metal does to it, like that, because you're improving the actual product, other than just the visuals. It will also, you know, because you're emulsifying stuff in, it'll get a shimmery, you know, more of a uh, uh, salad dressing a shimmery look to it. But you're actually also going to be making yeah, yeah, a better yeah. product. Just make sure that you're emulsifying oil into the alginate and not the other way around because the alginate right. needs to be the continuous phase. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. And what was the other one? Yeah. Let's see if we can tackle the other one real quick before I go to break, although Nastasha and Jack All are right. going to chop my head. Uh,
2: yeah, I want to ask if you ever, so your juices that you clarified with your Pecknex, you got, you know, nice, clear juices, have you ever tried reducing them or making a glaze or even like a caramel out of that reduced uh, juice?
0: Oh, like, yes. Do you know if
2: the technic- the pectinex has a negative effect
0: on that at all? No, I, we do that all the time. I mean, I've never done it over heat because, like, you know, we're all about uh, trying to preserve the original flavor of it. So I typically will reduce yeah. in my rotary evaporator, but I've made some of the most ridiculous reductions. So, like, typical applications we've done, like fresh apple reduction that we've clarified and taken it down to a syrup. We've done fresh strawberry uh, in fact, I don't know whether I talked about it on air, but it was a result of a question someone asked on air once. We, I made a, a candy where we did, uh, I reduced the fresh clarified strawberry juice down, you know, without heat, down to about 33 bricks. And then you yeah. stirred that into a candy base that I had made that I'd let cool, you know, somewhat. So that the- strawberry wasn't flavored crazy crazy good crazy good and uh, we've done blood orange you like the blood orange right Nastasha where we reduce it to a syrup post clarification so it's an excellent application Um, I don't know what the results with heat are because it's going to taste a little bit cooked but um, yeah you know so there's certain clarification steps that if you can cook it you might as well cook it but uh, on the other hand pectinex is very good especially on things like apple and and whatnot so yes the answer is yes so well yeah I
2: was just curious then what if uh Right, if I wanted to kind of take the remaining starchy bits and the solid bits out of some, like, uh, sweet potato slurry and try to caramelize the remaining sugars left over I know you even talked last week about, uh, like, this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Because you know how, like, when you bake a sweet potato, you get this delicious, sometimes sometimes you get this delicious, like, caramely stuff that oozes out. Yes. And, like, drips on the pan. And I want to I make that, but, like, in large amounts. So I figured... Especially when I had saw a paper a couple months ago about, uh, you know, there being a lot of amylases in sweet potatoes. So you could maximize, you know, how much sugars in them, maybe break down some extra starches. And then I got to figure out a way to kind of turn that into, like, you know, remove enough of the kind of solid matter to right. get, like, a sugary liquid I can... Simmer down and turn it into
0: a caramel. Uh, there's no question and in my mind. There's no question in my mind at all that you can juice a sweet potato and then clarify it. Uh, no question. And then though the sugars will yeah. be in there. Now, if you wanted to get sweeter, uh, you could add some um, some brewers some amylase to it. You know what I mean? Some yeah. some alpha beta amylase. You could get a brewer supply shop. Add it to that and right. just and just basically mash it out like you would uh, a, a wort for a beer. You know what I mean, and yeah. the question is getting the right balance, then clarifying it and cooking out the mash before you set the starch. So the, the key is is that to spin out or to get to clarify out the extra starch before you gelatinize it. You know what I mean? Because then after right, you gelatinize right, right. it, oh, everything's so a pain in the ass.
2: Would you rec- uh but, you know, rear, I mean, do you yeah. think Pekin-X would be a good wrap for that? Or there, well, No, you know, we you I could try it. Physical separation, easier. I mean,
0: physical separation is what I would try first. But I mean, because I don't know how much of it's soluble. I don't know how much of it is stabilized by. Uh, by by the pectin, but it's something we could try. If Nastasha remembers to write it down, we'll give it a, we'll give it a, a whirl. But yeah, definitely okay. doable, definitely doable. But now, now I mean, it,
2: yeah, I mean, do you think? I mean, could I just try throwing like if I tried throwing it through a juicer, for instance, afterwards, would that be possible? Because I was like, I would juice
0: you know, it. I would juice, things right things I juice it right away. Juice it right away, and then do any procedure you're going to have to the juice because it's just going to free up more of the enzymes. So ju- okay. do all your yeah, juicing. Yeah, right I've never anyway.
2: tried juicing a sweet potato before. I didn't really know if I could expect it to squeeze a lot out. I don't
0: know yeah. what your yield is going to be. That, that I don't yeah. know. But you know, you could also juice it, treat the pulp, treat the pulp with uh, with uh, pectinex, and rejuice. Um, but, yeah.
3: Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but give yeah, it a
2: try no no Either it. way, yield's going to be better than what you get chipping out of sweet potatoes and you toss them in another. And
0: can't be worse. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, give us a, give us a holler. Tell us how it works. So, yeah. All righty. Thanks for calling. So do we Are we going to, go to a break we're yeah. gonna, Okay we're going to break We'll be right back With Cooking Issues 718-497-2128 oh, That's 718-497-2128 feel good? so much
4: Bone brother How you feel, man? I feel alright I'll call your name I don't want no people To know you're in here
0: Welcome back to Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network, uh, the show where we answer all of your cooking issues, or as Nastasha said today, just your issues. Call in all of your questions to 718-497-2128, 718-497-2128, here live in Brooklyn. Okay, so back to Thanksgiving for a minute, uh, because I I didn't get to finish what I was saying. So we got this, uh, you know, Patrick uh, gave us this, uh, gave me, I should say, Nastasha didn't get to eat me. But I got my own. Oh, you did yeah. heritage breed. Yeah, but how was it? It was great. Did you overcook it? A little bit. A little bit. A yes. little bit, or a lot bit. A little bit. Was there any bit. moisture in it at yes, all? Yes, there was. Was there a similarity with a, with like a hammer? Was it was it like <laughs> was it like a solid block? No. There was some juice left. Yes. <laughs> you could eat it without gravy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, so <clears throat> as uh, as I said last week, the one that we got, when uh, I got, was a Narragansett bird. Clocked in around uh, 15 pounds, I think, 15 pounds or so. So smaller than my normal, you know, gigundus bird, but, you know, because heritage breed. So I, I did the bionic turkey, boned it, in, you know, boned it inside out without cutting the skin, uh, made an aluminum skeleton for it, uh, made, you know, aluminum leg bones that we cut holes into. So they're like a sprinkler system, hooked it up to a circulator. Piped hot oil through the through the uh, erzatz leg bones to cook the legs from the inside out at the correct temperature. I set my circulator at sixty seven five for a final temperature in the leg. Afterwards, pumped through all the aluminum about sixty six. Uh, which is where I wanted it. Then uh, after about an hour and twenty minutes of that, dropped the whole bird, still with the leg pumping through, to get it inside a lot. Threw it into a big thing of duck fat. When I say oil, I meant duck fat. Uh, in duck fat, cooked it all to about a six. Started it a little higher at like sixty six and dropped it to sixty five, and then finally a sixty four for the finish off of the cook. Uh, so sixty four and a half. Uh, cooled it down in the fat, like it was in the fat, like it was a confit. Ripped it out, and because my parents. Well, my stepfather actually is petrified of any sort of cooking operation and doesn't understand it. I decided I was going to finish the bird in the oven rather than my preferred technique, which is first deep fat frying and then uh, failing that, ladling hot fat over it to crisp up the skin. Uh, so, anyway, so I'm like, all right, listen, my stepfather's name is Gerard, so I'm just going to call him Gerard from here. He's pe- One time I fried a turkey, uh, you know, on the, on the, you know, out on the, lawn right and a little bit spilled over and hit a little bit of the grass and he now claims that i started a major forest fire that day and when rea- and he says the grass is still dead there which first of all let's say it was who who cares i mean they got an acre of land like a little patch of dead grass make it the turkey you know cooking spot right anyway not, not a big problem but this is the kind of thing that totally flips him out because he does like i say even though he's got one of the best palates for wine that i've ever met of anyone i've ever met and like loves food Petrified and doesn't understand anything about cooking at all. Like doesn't know the sharp end of a knife. you know what I'm saying? Anyway, so this year, oh, and then a year after that, I was like, well, I won't kill your glass. So uh, kill your grass. So I, I fried it basically against my wishes. My mom said fry the turkey again. This is years ago, and I, I fried it on the patio on the flagstone, and some oil hit the flagstone, and, and this was one of those sub freezing Thanksgivings. Uh, you know, up in New York, and, uh, and he was out there, I don't know what the hell he thought he was doing, hosing down Flagstone and below freezing weather because the water was just freezing up as he was trying to get the oil off. Anyway, he ended up, it ruined Thanksgiving for the second time for turkey-related reasons. I mean, I've ruined Thanksgiving many times for other things, arguments and whatnot. But uh, anyway, so this year, I was like, it's going to be somewhat normal. I'm going to throw the bird in the oven. Everything's going to be fine. I decide my mom has this uh, this clay, this clay uh, you know, like a bake she- baking sheet, almost like a toff, but it's made by, you know, it's clay baking sheet. I'm like, oh, I'm going to throw this in like a pizza stone. I'm going to throw this thing in the, because it's got sides, right? So it'll catch the drippings. I'm going to throw it in the oven. I'm going to crank the oven to 500 degrees, and then I'm going to put the turkey in, and the bottom's going to get brown just like the top, because that's what, you know, the bottom and never gets brown properly when you're doing this kind of thing and my mom's like no you're gonna set off the smoke detector i'm like mom she just got a new one put in i'm like first of all here's a note to everyone out there like i know safe smoke detectors safety all that crap Like, put a dang, some sort of switch... They are cooking detectors. These things are cooking detectors. And my mom's cooking detector is hooked directly to the fire department. So as soon as you start cooking, like, the engines come... And then in in Westchester, where my parents live, they charge you. The city gives you a big, fat bill if they show up at your house and there's no fire. Really? Yeah. So it almost makes you want to light a fire, like, whenever they come. You know what I mean? I didn't say that. I didn't recommend that. Anywho. So, like, you know, I'm running around the house, like, like sticking these, like, plastic covers, these defeaters over the... uh, over the, the cooking detectors and well, here's what's demented right they don't want to put a switch on it in case you should turn it off and then go to bed but instead they give you a plastic thing to defeat it that you have to remember to get on a chair and remove the plastic thing <laughs> does this make any dang sense it should be like your virus protection when you, when you get on the computer where you say okay I will turn it off for the next 20 minutes you know what I mean yeah. Something like that. Anyway, I, I hate those damn things. My wife installed one once in my apartment in New York, even though we're in a fireproof building. And my only memory of it is it going off and me getting so angry that I literally jumped up and one hand punch-fisted it. like you know no like, way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Street Fighter move. Like punch the, the detector and like rain down on the floor in like little pieces. And I was like, I'm sorry. I had to apologize to everyone. I was like, sorry for the outburst, but I, I have this like visceral reaction against cooking detectors. Anyway. Uh you know, anyway, whatever. Here's the thing also. When you're cooking in the kitchen, right, you know if there's a fire. It's not like in your bedroom or in a hallway at night. You know when you catch something on fire in the kitchen, right? Anyway, and plus, everyone's house is underventilated, so there's always smoke whenever you're doing any sort of good cooking operation. So either everyone in the world is setting up – in New York. And houses that have those crappy little like Home Depot, Brone, nothing against a Brown Corporation like, like Vents. And they and fire them up and they never can get all of the, all of the, uh, the smoke out. So either everyone is cooking poorly, maybe true, or everyone is enduring smoke. More probably true. And then a good portion of those people, like someone in the house is freaking out about the smoke, right? It's irritating. The whole thing's irritating. Anyway, whatever. So I'm like, it's going to be fine. We put the, the little defeaters over the cooking detectors, fired up the oven to 500, which is the highest that thing would go, convection, threw in the baking sheet, got it all nice and hot, throw the turkey on, and for once, the turkey actually fit in the oven because I didn't bring a 30-pound turkey with me, or you know, I brought like a 15-pound turkey, put it on. All of a sudden, smoke all through the freaking house smoke everywhere smoke smoke on top of smoke on top of smoke and I'm like you know whatever it's smoke I don't care everyone's flipping out open it up the dang baking sheet the clay baking sheet had shattered oh in two God. and all of the drippings and fat and everything from the turkey that was crisping up in the thing were on it. the bottom of the oven b- basically smoking like smoking like the devil And so I didn't get to fully brown the turkey and yet still the most delicious bird I've ever made in my life once we got through the whole, you know, ruining Thanksgiving aspect of it. Uh, So, to report back on the Narragansett turkey, do not overcook the turkey, but the bird definitely had, like, it was like turkey squared. It tasted like turkey with turkey flavor in it, even though I hadn't reinforced it with anything. It didn't put gravy on it. I brined it lightly before we cooked it, but, you know, no big deal. But it had a very meaty flavor, enjoyed by all, including my stepfather's 90- or 91-year-old ex-butcher father, who spent his years, uh, you know, butchering animals back in the old days, back when meat had, had real flavor. So that's my report back on the Narragansett Turkey, and don't try to crisp that thing on top of a, uh, on top of a, a clay baking sheet, because bad things will happen. Um, anyway, do you want to catch back up on time and take our second break now? Sure. Do right, you want to go- talk about the class? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Before we go to break, let's, uh, I have a, a class coming up, and again, you know, I'm, apparently, if you listen to the first segment, not so good at the self-promotion, but... Uh, th- this is actually a very inexpensive class. If you happen to be in New York City tomorrow and you want to learn how to make some holiday cocktails that you can make at home and some that require liquid nitrogen and rotary evaporation, then uh, for the meager price of $125, and you'll get – how many drinks are you making? Some preposterous number of drinks? Four. Hell, it's cheaper than a bar almost because we're going to give you snacks and everything too. That's I mean true. When you think about it, it's two hours. Uh, 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., I'll be there. Nils Norn will be there, and we're going to, you know, make some f- drinks that go on fire. We're going to make some drinks that are cold. We're going to, well, you know, anyway, it's tomorrow, and you can uh, sign up by going to www. what? I think. FreshCulinary.com or something? Yeah. I don't really know. I shouldn't know this kind of stuff. No, I, you have to go to the International Culinary Center oh. from the French Culinary Oh, I don't yeah. know. I Just don't know. Just
1: Google Dave Nils' yeah, holiday, holiday
0: cocktail. Anyway, yeah. it should be fun and and if nothing else, you will have a lot to drink. So, uh, check that out. Call in your questions. We're coming back for another segment at 718-497-2128. 718-497-2128 cooking issues.
4: How you, feel, bro? you feel good, You feel good? I don't know you're in here.
0: Welcome back to Cooking Issues. Dave Arnold and Nastasha Lopez here in the studio waiting for your call at 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Coming to you from Bushwick, Brooklyn. All right. I have some questions from the, uh, from the email. We haven't answered any email questions today, have oh, we yet? Uh-uh. No. All right. Uh, I have a couple of questions, Chris S. says. Uh, I really want an ISI or EC because they're switching. They're switching to, to, they're switching to EC here in the U.S. or they're switching to ISI? EC, I thought. EC? The IC, the IC. yeah, they're both like in Europe. They're ISI, and here they're EC, or vice versa, or something like that. So they're both true. We're just going to say EC from now on. And you all know what I'm talking about—the whipped cream makers that we use for like other whipped cream or th- rapid infusion technique. You know, developed a couple months ago. Um, so the, the question Chris has is, uh, which is the best one of these uh, EC uh, things to buy? EC whipped. First of all, don't don't buy the. I mean, nothing against, but don't buy the seltzer one. It's the most limited. Make sure you get a cream one. Uh, and there's there's all different kinds. There's Profi Whip. There's the Gourmet Whip, like 9 million. They all have crazy names. But in general, the the big deal, the newer ones have silicone grip rings on them so that you can grip them when you're wet as opposed to the older ones. So I'd look for the ones that have the silicone grip ring. I I should know, like, exactly what all the line models are, but I don't. The only big difference – Really, is uh, a a thermo whip. The thermo whip is uh looks like it's like a three quarter of a liter or something, but it's actually smaller, it's a half liter, and it's insulated. And with the thermo whip, the thermo whip is very useful for people who are working on a line or in an area where they need to keep something hot or cold and they don't have access to either keeping it in the fridge or in a bain marie of hot water for, for service, right? So if you need to keep something hot or cold for a long time, then get a thermal whip. But there are a lot more money and their capacity is is lower now. I I would definitely. I mean, it, it, you're more limited if you get a smaller size, but it's also going to cost you less to do a recipe in a smaller size than in a bigger size because you can't just when you're doing an infusion in, a, in an EC bottle, you 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 know the the amount of product in it. And how many chargers you put in it are variables, and so you want to keep your recipes the same all the time. Most of my recipes are written for half-liter uh, half containers, um, you know, but you can scale them up to liter containers. If you can only buy one and you know you're going to need to make a lot of product at one point, maybe you have to get uh, the liter size. But it's, it's an in- interesting question um, – to answer: I use mainly half liters. By the way, for any of you, like we're like literally in a construction zone here. So if you hear any like hammering, like don't say that it's not Jack's fault. Our, our, our engineer, he's not like doing construction. It's, but there's only so much sound insulation that we can do, and so there's like you know it's because they're making Roberta's Pizzeria here even better than it was before. That's why, and so it's worth it. Uh, second question Chris has is uh, if you put pineapple in an EC with alcohol and charge it, would you get both flavored alcohol and alcohol infused fruit similar to using a vacuum machine? I I have tried it. We've done it. Uh, And yes, you do get some uh, some infusion into the pineapple itself. I don't know that it's – I have to redo it again. It works. I don't think it's maybe as effective at getting the stuff into the pineapple as the vacuum machine, but it's pretty close. Like it does actually work. And in fact, I'll probably be demoing that tomorrow. Um, The caveat is you want to make sure that you use nitrous so that the pineapple doesn't uh, taste carbonated. And I think you're going to boil – more of the liquor out when it bubbles out than you would using a vacuum, so I think the vacuum gets a stronger infusion into the pineapple. pineapple uh, is also interesting because a lot of its aroma once it 's extracted is very fleeting, uh, especially in distillations and things like that so you 're going to want to probably you know balance like i wouldn 't keep pineapple for a long long time, even though people do I think it like loses some of its good aroma but I hope this Hope that helps. Okay. Uh, Teddy DeVico call, uh, wrote in. And he said, what are your thoughts on getting the Sous Vide Supreme? Is it as accurate as an immersion circulator? Thanks. No. No, it is not. Uh, the uh, Sous Vide Supreme, uh, another little gripe you've heard me say before. Sous Vide is cooking in a, in, a, in, a, in a vacuum environment, in a vacuum bag, and sealed, like, using a vacuum machine. Sous Vide Supreme has nothing to do with Sous Vide. Sous Vide Supreme is a low-temperature cooker that's basically a non-stirred water bath. Non-stirred water baths have limits of accuracy because they're not stirred, right? I'm not saying it's a bad piece of equipment, but I'm saying that there are limits to its fundamental accuracy, and and over very long periods of time, it probably gets a fairly accurate result if you don't stir and you leave it. I mean, if, if, if you just leave it sit, it'll probably equalize over a long period of time. But in general cooking, I would say that it's not going to be nearly as even or accurate as an immersion circulator, which is typically good to a couple tenths of a degree across the entire bath. So, also... Immersion circulators are a lot. Uh, they can they can do various different sizes, and they take up less space in the kitchen. The Sous Vide Supreme I realize is a couple hundred dollars less than a circulator, but if I was going to get one, I would save up the couple hundred extra dollars and get an immersion circulator. I would personally, and I shouldn't ever say this, I would rather have like my own like DIY like you know home ghetto circulator than the Sous Vide Supreme. But that's me. That's me. Don't take this. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's not a bad product. I'm just saying that I'm very pro-circulation. Another thing you might want to do is put an aquarium pump into a Sous Vide Supreme and have it circulate, and then I think you'd, you'd get rid of all of its shortcomings. That's another solution. That's like a, like a $25 solution problem. Oh, we have a caller. Caller, you were on the air.
3: Hey, David. Rusty Shackleford. How are you?
0: Hey, doing all right.
3: I'm glad to hear that. I got a question for you. Um, I'm illegally distilling alcohol. Good. Yeah, but... You know, when I saw it, when I originally was directed to cookingissues.com, I found a kindred spirit in you. So, what I want to know is, I want to do a Dr. Pepper infusion because, as we all know, Dr. Pepper is the champagne in beverages.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not, yeah, champagne. We've got to think of another one. I have champagne for my favorite beers. we got to call, what do we, we need, like some sort of sham soda term? Yeah, Dr. Pepper, good product. Okay. Dr. Pepper is the preferred drink of the booth at Heritage Radio Network as well. Wow. It's ah. Hard ah. to hear that. Yeah. So, okay, so what, what do you want to infuse with Dr. Pepper?
3: I, I just make a, basically a neutral grain spirit. That's all I distill right now. Right. And uh, it comes in at around like 45, 50%. And I wanted to just, I bought an ISI and I want to infuse Dr. Pepper flavors into Booze.
0: Well, mm. so, okay. Well, I mean, the problem is like a liquid, liquid, like, you know what you should do is just buy Dr. Pepper syrup. Mm hmm yeah you should like like you should just like i don 't know whether you can like uh dr pepper I, is that coke or Pepsi uh,
3: I, I think it's actually like a it 's not owned by either of them it 's like a Nestle or something
0: right, but they locally they always go through a uh, you know in other words like even if you're an independent locally, you either go through a coke distributor or a Pepsi distributor for okay. your, for your bottling. So like I, like you anyway, my point is if it's ever on tap anywhere, which it is, right? Yeah. it means you can buy the syrup in a bag-in-box situation, mm-hmm. and so those syrups are typically very high bricks because they're mixed in low quantities, so that you can get many, many, many gallons out of it, and then mm-hmm. you could just do the real deal. You know what I mean? So you're talking adding, you know, like a very small percentage uh, of product, so you could still you could make a straight up Dr Pepper, you know, booze and not take it. You know, below uh, below 40 percent. If you're starting with if you're starting with 50, you could take it not below 40 and have just straight up Dr Pepper liquor.
3: Mm. you know and, would and, be, then, was, and then carbonated is it be possible to spin the Dr Pepper syrup through a centrifuge to like clarify it or no, that one more
0: well okay so so okay so it's, it's an interesting question so clarification right <clears throat> typically clarifying is just going to get rid of stuff that makes it not light not pass through it yeah. dr pepper the only reason light doesn't pass through it is because it's so concentrated like everything mm-hmm. is actually in solution there do you know what i mean yeah,
4: so yeah.
0: like uh, if you want it clear right the 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 then you'd have to I mean the problem is is that like the sugars wouldn't come through and like some of the bittering agents wouldn't come through so if you redistill doctor pepper all you get is kind of the um the aroma you know what i'm saying yeah. which isn't yeah. necessarily which isn't necessarily what you want. Another thing we could do—I don't really know the recipe, although I know it, it has prunes in it, which is why like the fake ones are called like Doctor Thunder. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, reference to your butt, I guess. But the but the, <laughs> the the but I don't know the actual recipe of Doctor Pepper, but I'm sure this is something that is like a known like thing on the internet that we can look it up. And then if we figure out what the flavor profile is, well, then you could start doing distillations with the aroma components of it and then mm-hmm. try to mimic like the sugar acid balance of something like, for instance, in the prune and get it, get it to come, come across. And then you could use something that's like less color. Also, there are white prunes, right? So if you're going to use a prune, like like uh, most prunes are, are purple because most plums that are made into prunes are purple, but there are white plums that are made into prunes. These don't you can't get them commercially. I think there's some French ones. Uh, I'm stretching my memory a lot, but I believe like Brignol uh, prunes can be white. I'm not sure, but anyway, so you can get that kind of dried fruit flavor, and you can add some kind of plum essence back to it to get a plummy thing in a clearer liquid. If you start from first principles, but then you're going down a much longer road rather than if you just want like straight up fast delicious. You get your, you get yourself some liquor <clears throat> and you get yourself some Dr Pepper syrup, and you know you water it to whatever level you want to drink it at, and then um, and then carbonate it, and then you're good to go. I mean that's like a one that's like a one day problem. Do you know what I mean? I will I will send you a bottle once it's all uh, made. Oh, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for calling um, in. One other question. All right. I want to know what
3: your favorite Simpsons episode was. What?
0: Wow, you know I haven't watched The Simpsons in a. Uh, I appreciate the first non-cooking question. I haven't watched The Simpsons in a long time, a long time because I, you know, I, I used to watch it faithfully. And there are so many good ones to choose from. Uh, the one where the pig is flying through the air and Homer says it's still good, it's still good, it's still good comes to mind.
3: At least for the vegetarian.
0: Yeah, that's a That's that's a good one. Uh, they the when uh, you know when Krusty uh, went to jail the first time around. That was an amazing, amazing episode. Like. Uh, the itchy and scratchy, uh, the itchy and scratchy uh, censorship one, the flag burning one. I mean, there's there's so many. It's so hard to choose. Think,
3: think about it for a while. I'll listen next week. And,
0: uh, all right, I'll, I'll put some good thinking into that one.
3: All right, Dave. Thanks a lot.
0: All right, thanks for calling. All right. So we see we can rip through some more questions before Uh, we're done? Sure. Jack, we have a couple minutes here. Can I rip through some of these questions? And, Jack, you've never given me a Dr. Pepper in the studio. Wow. She's calling you out. (laughs) Calling you out. Also, Dr. Pepper, for those of you that are diet drinkers, a good diet flavor. Look, you know what? Nastasha's sitting here crinkling up her nose. Look, people who drink diet sodas, right? And I grew up drinking. I realize everyone's going to hate me now. "Ah, I got to drink diet soda. Listen, it's like people who drink diet sodas, right? We don't drink just one. Like people who like have sugarful sodas are like, I need a little bit of a boost. You know what I mean? People who drink diet sodas, they don't drink water. Right? All they drink is diet soda. So they need to pound a bunch of these things to stay hydrated, right? That used to be me. Now, now I drink exclusively seltzer, right? So I don't drink really soda that much anymore because I drink exclusively seltzer. But realize that your diet soda drinking friends and neighbors are using it as a hydration technique, not as a, like, I need a little bit of sugar. So, you know, and if you're buying for a party, right? Never let a sugar soda drinker buy soda for a party, they're always wrong. This is why, at the end of the night, there's no Diet Coke left, and there's 8,000 bottles of Coke left at the end of the party. No why? Way. Yes. You have no idea what you're talking about. Look, a Diet Soda drinker goes over and locates their two-liter bottle, right? And then they drink it, right? Whereas you have, like, a cup of Coke. Like, mark my words. Let Diet Soda drinkers buy the non-alcoholic products for your party. All right. Hold on a sec. I got, uh, um, I got another question from um, – I got a question from Jacob. Uh, and he had a question about a tabletop vacuum sealer. Um, but uh, Jacob, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this question next week because I didn't have time to research the one that you put onto the uh, onto the onto the emails emails. So uh, I'll try and research that. The, a lot of people are interested in lower priced vacuum machines because kind of the entry level price for a real vacuum machine is in and around $1,500. And there's a wealth of new ones out there that are three and four hundred dollars. And uh, the question is, are they any dang good? The answer is I have no idea uh, because I haven't used them, but I'd like to look at the specs and see whether they're any good. Uh, I mean, uh, it would be great. Like, my life would be really cool if, like, I had the money to go buy all this equipment and test it for for you guys. I don't, you know what I mean, I don't have access to it because uh, one thing I'm good at, Nastasha, right, is putting equipment through its paces. Right. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Uh, Okay, and one last question also from uh, Teddy DeVico is... uh, he recently, recently got a Twist and Sparkle, which is a new carbonation uh, unit from uh, EC that carbonates liquid. And he says, uh, it's used in drinks, but why not savory things such as sauces or broths? Have you carbonated any sauces or broths or other savory liquids? Uh, and uh, yes, but you know, the, the issues are one, the sauce has to be good served cold because when you heat it, you're going to lose a lot of the carbonation. And it has to taste good carbonated, which means it has to taste good with CO2. A lot of times with savory dishes, when things have CO2 in them, they start tasting like they're a little bit fermented. And so you have to watch out for that. I would do a quick test just by, you know, like doing 50 50 with, uh, I mean, if you have the eyesight twist of sparkle, just try it. The rules are make sure it's cold, make sure it doesn't have. Uh, uh, if it has any like milk in it, you're done. It's going to foam over and spray all over your house. If you if you have particles in it, then it's going to foam up and spray all over your house. Um, so it needs to be clear. Otherwise, you're going to run into real problems. Uh, but other than that, the only rules are keep it cold and does it taste good? And th- that's basically like a general good rule for life, right? With keep with it cold, the dri- well for carbonating, mm, yeah. keep it keep the temperature where it wants to be you and. Said- what he said? It's a good rule for life. A good rule for life. Yeah. yeah. Well, you sh- Yes, I'm not going to get into it on the air. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, this then has been cooking issues. Uh, come back, visit us next week, um, Tuesday this time. Vicious,
4: vicious vodka. Supposed to meet my.